Hello, everyone. Welcome to Unexpected Points. It's Kevin Cole here for the weekly wrap-up slash Q&A edition of the pod. Uh, Pretty big week, actually, for some news that's going on right now in the NFL. We had some stuff drop today with some gambling-related suspensions. Uh, Another big one in there. After what we saw with Calvin Ridley in the past, I'll get into some of that. Uh, We also have some news in different areas of some things that I wanted to to touch on. I'll just quickly mention some of the things that we will discuss in this pod here. Trey Lance, is he available? Is he not? Are the 49ers putting it out there that is available? Do they want to get rid of him? Does Lance want out of town? Is this his agent who's talking to Rappaport and others about that? We'll discuss that. We'll talk a little bit about more about this S2 test, which is coming to dominate everyone's thinking when it comes to what's going on with the quarterback positions and quarterback evaluations. Most recently, an article coming out today at Go Long, which is uh, my brother in Substack, my Substack bro, uh, Tyler Dunn. He runs this site uh, article by, I think it's Bob McGinn who wrote this one about um different evaluators what he's hearing from executives and others about the quarterback class and in that he prints the exact numbers for the total s2 score this cognitive test and not looking good for stroud so that'll be part of it there was another little kerfuffle there with stroud and brady quinn talk about that a little bit here um alan robinson being traded away and a huge money for the rams are being paid there i just want to revisit that quickly we'll do that very very quickly Then we'll talk running back talk, a few different things there. Bijan talk where he'll go in the first round and we'll get into questions and Q&A. So if you have any questions, Q&A for me now, go ahead in the comments to this video. Hopefully if you're watching live on YouTube, go ahead and just, you know, label them q and I'll get to those after I'm done discussing this other stuff. And um, we had a pretty robust Q&A last week when I was going through this. So hopefully we'll have something similar today. Hopefully also... um, I won't get interrupted by my, by my kids who are who are here right now. Um, let me tell you, people out there, childless, the childless out there, um, you know, try to try to get stuff accomplished before you have to deal with these guys, before you have to deal with these kids out here. Um, or I guess you could have a spouse who enjoys dealing with kids, but then you're kind of a little bit of a catch twenty two because I'm not sure I'd want to like, you know have my life partner, someone I'm uh, dealing with the rest of my life, be someone who like wants to be a stay at home parent, <laughs> but then you have two people who don't want to be stay at home parents. And then you have kids. It can become a little bit more, um, it can be a little bit more complicated, but we also had some, you know, th- some GM conferences this week and I have some clips from there that I want to play for some different things. Some GMs are saying, which I always think could be interesting. You, you don't get a lot from these guys. Let's face it. They're hiding most of what they're talking about. They're not showing, revealing their hands fully, but y- you can get some interesting stuff uh, going on there. Okay. First things first, let's talk. Hmm, let's talk CJ Stroud first. So what's going on in case anyone hasn't noticed uh, Stroud is falling precipitously in the draft. It went from Bryce Young being the likely number one pick before we kind of knew what was going on to seeing that Stroud jumped up there when it was presumed that he was the guy for the Panthers. I don't know if it's because of Josh McCown and others who were there, but maybe, I don't know. Um, and now it's flipped back around and now it's gone so far that the betting markets don't even have CJ Stroud as being the guy to um, go number two. Let me just look it up right now. So I can get the exact numbers on here. Um, for the number two pick, people are already been thinking that's going to be Stroud. People are just like completely locked in. Now, again, these can be pushed around quite a bit, these different bets that they have out there for um, for uh, the draft. Let's let's not I, – I think these books got have gotten killed as people have been 
a little bit wiser about what they're doing on the draft. But let me just actually let me go ahead and bring it up so people can take a look at it here on the old screen. So if you look at what's going on for the number two draft pick, well, first to start with number one. So if we go up to number one, Bryce Young minus 1600 right now. So that is looking like as much of a lock as it could possibly be. CJ Stroud at plus 800. So not not looking good for, for CJ Stroud there, obviously. Now, if we go down to the number two draft pick, and this is the interesting one. So Will Anderson plus 160, Tyree Wilson plus 250, both edge rushers that we're talking about there. CJ Stroud, 275. So he's third, but you know, no, nowhere close to being first here. Will Levis, 300, which is very, very close. And if you look at Anthony Richardson, plus 2,000. So it's like Richardson, at least according to people's assumptions built into these lines, is way out of the equation. Um, really, no one is in the equation other than the top four, with Levis being about as close as Stroud at this point in people's assumptions for what will happen with the third, with the second draft pick. And if you go to three, Stroud is leading the odds, although it's pretty... It's pretty whack-a-mole, you know, whoever may be left guessing at this point. Stroud at plus 200 has the has the uh, shortest odds for the third pick with Will Anderson and Anthony Richardson much closer there. We're talking about pick number three. Uh, it is interesting that two out of the top three picks there are quarterbacks when, um, when the Cardinals still have that pick as of now. I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be able to trade out of that. I think this is a this is probably a big issue with the draft that a lot of people don't quite realize is that when teams are looking to trade out of the top of drafts, this happened, I think, a lot in 2019. So 2019 was the draft. Let me bring it up here. Um, was the draft with Kyler Murray at the top. So Kyler Murray was at the top. And the guys who went after Murray, if anyone wanted to trade out, I don't think they could have with still getting the type of odds and still getting the type of numbers that are dictated by the Jimmy Johnson draft chart, which let's face it, it's still, you know, dictating a lot of what, of what people are doing. Um, Cause if you look at that draft, Murray went number one, Bosa two and Quinn and Williams three. That's fine. I think that was, you know, I don't think anyone necessarily was dying to trade out. Then you got to the Raiders at four. I mean, I think they would have traded out of that if they could have, but you're looking at draft charts, which again, the Jimmy Johnson draft chart is not a value chart. It's a market value chart. It's looking specifically at what sort of values we saw in the past. And in the top five picks quite often, probably the majority of the time, probably the vast majority of the time when someone is trading into those top five picks, they're doing so for a quarterback. But if you're the Raiders sitting at four, or if you're the Cardinals, let's say this year sitting at three, if you don't want a quarterback and no one else really seems to want a quarterback at that spot, you got to make some major adjustments to your draft charts. It's okay to make a trade out for an amount, according to the draft charts, that would be way, way, way off. That would be way too low. It's okay to do that because the quarterback part of the equation is taken out, which drastically changes the market values of these picks. Now, in this draft, I know everyone thinks it's a big quarterback draft. You have Richardson there. You have Levis there. You have everyone else there. So, therefore, that third overall pick that the Cardinals have should be worth a lot for a team to get into there. But maybe it's just not the case. Maybe it's really a Bryce Young and a vast tier after that. And it's more like what we saw in the 2020 draft, right? If we go to the 2020 draft, in hindsight, it looks weird that Herbert was just sitting there at six. Of course, everyone, a lot of people talked about how much they didn't like Herbert at the time. But the same thing happened there. It was Joe Burrow, and it was a massive teardrop after that. So even though the Dolphins and the Chargers wanted to take quarterbacks in a similar way to the Colts, for sure, this season at four, maybe the 
the Seahawks at five, maybe the Lions at six, maybe the Falcons at eight, maybe the Raiders at seven. They may all be somewhat interested in the quarterback position. But this could be like in 2020, 2019, no one traded out, you know, and then the Raiders end up taking uh, Cleon Farrell for fourth overall because they're just pointing to their board and doing what they can. Or in the 2020 draft where after Burrow goes, Chase Young goes too, which I think people saw him as a legit player that, that you know, that wasn't a one where the, at the time, Washington Redskins were looking to trade out. But then you have Jeff Okuda, Andrew Thomas go next. And... I thought Akuda was a pretty solid prospect. Andrew Thomas was a solid prospect. Tackle being a little bit more of someone you can justify taking in the top five. But the Dolphins and the Chargers were just content to sit back. The Chargers were even content to let the Dolphins pick whoever they wanted and take the other guy. Um, that, that's another thing that's like so amazing when we talk about how these teams have performed in the draft and how great of a drafter a particular GM is versus another GM. So much of it is just... Who did the guy in front of you take? Who did, who did the team two, two spots in front of you take? Who was available to you at that point? Like the Chargers drafting and Tom Telesco over there, the Chargers, does he get credit for Justin Herbert? Or is it just the flip side of what uh, Chris Greer decided to do in Miami? And that's how he ended up landing on the right guy. I don't know. Um, so it could be one of those sorts of drafts this year. People maybe maybe are not fully appreciating the fact that Teams just aren't going to be able to trade out of some of these picks. And you have to readjust your points models, readjust your Jimmy Johnson chart, take less and be okay with that. Not worry about what the media says so much. Not worry about the premium that's built in there for quarterbacks that you don't necessarily care about. Right? Because um, let me drop, let me pull up the rookie contract salaries here. Because this is this is this is why. This is why sometimes you want to get out even if it's not necessarily the greatest value that you're getting when you get out. The reason you want to get out if you're, let's say, the Cardinals when you're up near the top is that pick just costs a lot of money versus picks that are later on. And it's not bad when it's a lot of money and you have a quarterback there because your surplus value is so much higher, so much higher um, for, for that type of player. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and I'll bring up the, the numbers here so you can get a, a, good, a good idea for what we're talking about as far as the amounts here. So let's look at the, the rookie cap numbers by round for these different players. So for just this year, it's talking about here, just this year, first round, first pick, number one overall, total total amount, $40 million for the first pick. It goes down some. So it's down to $37 million for the for the Cardinals for this third pick. But if you're the Cardinals and you say, you know what, when I'm looking at the the top prospects this year and let's say i'm looking specifically at edge rusher right because edge rusher seems to be those two guys have seemed to bump up with jalen carter falling down some so in the cardinals minds they're saying okay am i going to take will anderson or am i going to take tyree wilson one of these two guys and Probably one of those two guys is going to be available if I move down a couple of spots. Probably. You know, not certainly, but probably if I move down a few spots. Well, if I'm paying $37 million at three, and then let's say you move down a bit and you say, okay, I'm going to go down to where the, you know, the Raiders are. It's already down to $26 million. It's an $11 million difference in what you're paying that player you know, it's almost a third of the salary has been chopped off, just moving from three to seven. You move down to eight, it's down to 23 million. So again, first pick, 40 million. It's almost half at the eighth pick, 23 million. Then we go down to 23 again. And by the time we get out of the top 10, we start dropping below 20 as we drop out of the top 10. That's why it's normally around the 11th or 12th pick, you get the highest surplus value because at those picks, 
we're talking about a $20 million for four years or an $18 million, $19 million for four years. So it could be worth it for the Cardinals if you're just getting any draft compensation to trade out of those picks, even if a team is not high on a big quarterback. You have to adjust your expectations, adjust your charts, adjust all that stuff that's going into the decision-making to decide what you're going to do in that circumstance. And so as Stroud is, is falling further and further out of this, those picks are becoming less and less valuable. Is it correct that that's happening that Stroud is, is falling out so much uh, I'm not sure of course the the talk here and okay let me let me bring up this one first so this is exactly what happened the exact talk of, of what happened and what's moving down um, Stroud right now it's this Bob McGinn column at go long We'll talk about it here. It says multiple sources. This is what's been maybe been been becoming part of this big thing of everything that's been happening. It says multiple sources said Young's total score was a 98. So Bryce Young is a 98 total score on whatever this S2 cognition test, which again, I'm a little bit skeptical of. I'm not skeptical that it, that it doesn't work, but I guess I'm a little bit skeptical that it's as big of a deal as it's being made out to be. So 98% for for Young and an 18% for Stroud. If you look at the documentation on S2's website when they talk about this, I believe they cut off the threshold at around 70, 80 score as the guys that figure if you're not above that amount, you can't be successful. Of course, they link it to passer rating and all this stuff, but still 18% is a lot lower than 70%, even if that is the threshold. And then the other quarterbacks for this class say a 96% for Fresno takes Jake Hayner, 93% for Will Levis and Brigham Young's Jaron Hall, 84% for Clayton Toon of Houston, 79% for Anthony Richardson, and 46% for Hendon Hooker. So Hooker also would not meet that threshold, although we're getting some Hooker steam. Um, actually, that sounds like <laughs> Hooker steam. That sounds, sounds like some X-rated copy, some uh, OnlyFans copy there. But we're getting some Hendon Hooker steam coming into the first round here. So, you know, the quote here is Stroud scored 18. That's like red alert, red alert. This is from an executive. You can't take a guy like that. That's why I have Stroud as a bust in the conjunction with the fact, name one Ohio state quarterback that's ever done in the league. Of course you have to throw in the Ohio state quarterback thing, right? Um, it used to be the Cal quarterback thing before and the Tim, Tim Tedford quarterback thing before Aaron Rodgers blew up. So that's that's part of what's getting around, whether it's rumor, whether it's true, whether it's not. That has also become another part of this discussion because one of the S2 founders was on the um, the NFL, the PFF NFL pod with Sam and Steve talking. And maybe it's not as true as we thought it was that this is the case or maybe it's PR. Let's listen and see what he had to say, because he disputes some of the facts that these numbers that are that are coming out here i think it's we're in this world now where i, I think it's fair to say there's a top four quarterbacks in this particular class the the bryce young cj stroud will levis and uh, anthony richardson bryce young is reported to have off the charts numbers by this i think will levis was supposed to be right behind him with this mid 90s score how much do you think given the current landscape given how much teams currently use this it could be used as a separator for these guys amongst, you know, NFL draft rooms. Yeah. So uh, just to address the quarterback thing, um, you know, I, I would say that uh, we have, we have, we're, we're obviously aware of scores being leaked and, and we're not sure where that's coming from, but I will say that take some of those with a grain of salt. Okay. Um, we have seen, you know, Hey, so-and-so scored the highest in the class or the highest ever. And so-and-so scored low. And it's like, yeah, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> um, but w with that being said, I will say that th this class as a whole, all of the, all of the guys in the discussion have scored really, really well. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm a general manager, it's more likely that I'm going to utilize this tool. If we love two players, the same, we love their physical, Physical makeup. We love their psychological makeup. We have great interviews with them. One has a high S2. One has a modest S2. 
it, it can be a separator from that perspective. I, again, I, I just don't see GMs in front of offices saying, nah, we don't really like this guy, but his S2 is good. So let's take him. Right. I mean, I would love for that. Let's, let's do an experiment, <laughs> draft nothing but high S2 guys and see what happens. Um, but, you know, I just don't ever see that happening, at least in football. Are there other, other sports can be different. Right. And yeah, so we also says as part of this, um, uh, Brandon Ally, by the way, is the guy's name is the is the founder there. Um, he also says as part of this that everyone scored well. You know some of the things that you're hearing. I don't know. I mean, is this smoke? I mean, it seems weird that Bob again would have the exact total score numbers that would be leaked, and that would be a a lie, basically. Like, who's really benefiting there? I don't think teams are playing some sort of gamesmanship. Like, what sort of gamesmanship are you going to have if you're, I don't know, let's say the Colts and you want Stroud, you're going to try to knock them down so that the Texans don't take them, so then you'll eventually get them, so you're going to lie about it. But then if the Texans have the data, then it doesn't really matter whether you're lying about it or not. And we're hearing multiple sources talking about this. So I don't know. I tend to believe that the scores could be what they are. There's lots of different components that go into these scores. Maybe that's what he's talking about there, about not reading too much into these things. But regardless, you know, I put out my research on Stroud saying that he struggles under pressure. And that's something that a lot of people have talked about, including Brady Quinn as part of the Brady Quinn thing where he got in trouble for saying that uh, Stroud blew off the Manning camp guys, uh, the Manning brothers. And that may have been affecting his draft status. People got upset about that. Um you know, maybe that happened. Maybe that didn't. I'm, if we're talking about the Colts. Obviously, Manny's going to have a lot of sway. We saw how uh, the owner, Jim Irsay, really loves his former players, just went ahead and installed Jeff Saturday as being the head coach, despite him not having any coaching experience in college or the NFL, just because he loves his ex-players so much. So, you know, I- I'm buying some of the smoke here. That there's some fire behind the fact that Stroud is falling in these different areas. Is it correct or not? I don't know. Quarterback evaluation is extremely difficult to do. So I would still be okay taking someone like Stroud at the top. I still don't think in those sorts of pick ranges, if the Texans are going to take a a non-quarterback at two, that seems insane to me. But again, we might just be in those situations where they can't get out of that pick, even if they wanted to. No one is willing to reach that equilibrium point to give up enough to move up into that spot to move up incrementally um, when they're not that excited about the quarterback class. And then it just comes to the Texans have to step down to meet them a bit. And you have to worry more about enhancing your own value than enhancing your PR and the fact of what sort of trade value that you're getting back as part of this equation. Okay. Um, Trey Lance. Trey Lance is another interesting story from the week for those who may not have seen Ian Rappaport doing his his thing, you know, getting a text from somebody. <laughs> I don't I don't know who it is. Um, it, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and bring this one up here to get the exact language on here. Um, actually, I got it on the wrong screen. So, a uh, rap sheet here comes through with sources. You know, the 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 the. the the nondescript sources are added again. 49ers has received inquiries from several teams looking into a potential trade for former number three pick quarterback Trey, La- Trey Lance. Number three pick that the 49ers gave up the 12th overall pick and the two following years first round picks to, to get in that draft. It says the conversations have been the result of San Francisco fielding calls, not making them with teams aware that Brock Purdy is likely the future starter. So there is some chance this is coming from Lance's agent. Agents are the number one source for all of these insiders. There's some chance. I I tend to think agents are much more interested in trying to influence things via the media because they don't really have any power versus NFL decision makers. Probably a little bit less interested in, in in doing things via the media. But the way this is worded, unless the agent wanted to go out of his way to say or her way, I guess, um, to say that I'm not sure who his agent is, who Lance's agent is, to say that San Francisco's fielding calls, not making calls because they didn't want to piss off 
the 49ers and make it seem and make John Lynch and Shanahan mad about the fact that they're spreading these these rumors about them wanting to ship you know, Lance out of town as part of a PR battle. But to me, it reads more like San Francisco wants to make sure everyone knows they're open for business when it comes to potentially trading Trey Lance. And at the same time, they don't want to make it seem like they're actively doing it in order to you know, keep a decent relationship with Lance because who knows, they may need him. I mean, Lance did start for them last year when they had Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster, when they had Brock Purdy on the roster. I mean, he was Mr. Irrelevant, but still, they had Brock Purdy on the roster. The fact that Lance wouldn't want to be there, though, if it was his agent leaking this, just from a purely objective standpoint, is there any place you would rather be to win a starting job than competing against Brock Purdy, who had his, you know, his elbow, is his, his elbow ligament completely torn in Sam Darnold? That's your competition? Where else are you going to go in the NFL? You're going to have a better chance of winning the starting role. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where else you're going to go, honestly. But if he thinks he's dead to Shanahan, and again, this kind of goes all the way back to the reporting from Schefter about the fact that, Probably Shanahan, but at least the 49ers generally was more how he was reporting it. But I think it's Shanahan specifically, you know, wanted Mac Jones. He's the guy who loves Kirk Cousins. He's the guy who had an MVP season uh, coaching Matt Ryan. He He's the guy who, you know, would want a Tom Brady or someone like that, a pocket guy who can make decisions quickly, execute the offense. It's not really Trey Lance. Trey Lance supposedly has shortened up his release, but he just wasn't good. In the quick game, there was even reports of that. He wasn't good in the quick game just during practice last year. So this also leans into that, that maybe Shanahan has hit the tipping point, seeing how well Brock Purdy, literally the last pick in the NFL draft, was able to execute his offense. Bringing in Sam Darnold, and whatever you say for Sam Darnold, he can get the ball out pretty quickly. Um, Maybe he thinks he can even fix Sam Darnold. You know, Darnold was probably the number one prospect that year by most people. Maybe not the Browns who ended up taking him number one, but probably the number one prospect in back in 2018. Maybe still interested in Sam Darnold. And I could see from the 49ers perspective, even if you're going to take a massive hit on what you're going to trade Trey, Trey Lance for, and I would guess it's second round pick, sort of. You're not going to get a first round pick. I don't think you're going to get a first round pick. Will you get two second round picks? I don't know because two second round picks might be more valuable than a first-round pick. And if it's it's a team that doesn't have a quarterback and they're trading a second-round pick, that means it's a decent second-round pick, which is a valuable valuable pick. So you're probably just getting one second-round pick, maybe a contingent pick in the future. But contingent picks are like, GMs don't like to even give those up because then you can't trade them. They're just like, you're just stuck with them um, going in in the future because, uh, because they're wrapped up in a potential contingency in the future. So... Shanahan and Lynch might be thinking now, you know what? We've turned the page. Brock Purdy has proved to us that we can like pick a dude out of the crowd and he can perform better than what we were seeing from Trey Lance in practice. And that's style of quarterback in practice. Let's move on Lance now. Let's put the word out there. Move on Lance now before this coming season where he ends up potentially QB three on the depth chart behind Sam Darnold, who's kind of seen as being a failed quarterback and behind Brock Purdy. What if Brock Purdy's not ready for this for week one? And we're starting Sam Darnold over Trey Lance. Like that's the end of Trey Lance's value. Forget about the second round pick. You're not even getting that second round pick. This is a team that's missing some picks, could gain back some picks. They've been lucky in the compensatory pick department to mitigate some of the problems that they've had. Um, trading away picks like for Trey Lance. So I think that's what we're seeing here. I would guess they're ready to move on. You already had a closer tipping point to that because of the fact that Shanahan may have never been into Trey Lance in the first place. They saw the success of Brock Purdy. It put him in a whole new position. They're not willing to just turn things over after they've seen the fact that they were, you know, maybe one Purdy injury away from getting to the Super Bowl last year. They're not going to experiment again and throw Lance out there to start the season. And they don't want his value to completely tank by keeping him on the roster and having him below Sam Darnold and Brock Purdy. 
below a seventh round pick and a failed former pick, former top pick. That's my read on that situation. Could be the agent, could not. Either way, not great stuff for um, for Trey Lance in his future in San Francisco. All right, let's talk um, Allen Robinson. This is an interesting one real fast. For those who didn't see, Allen Robinson, the Rams are eating, I think, $10 million, trading him off to um, Pittsburgh. This is something that I talked about in the where they were buying, selling, fading, believing – uh, news, what we were buying and selling and fading. Robinson may have been the first or second thing I talked about in the offseason is something that I was selling, that I was fading. The news of team who just paid a bunch of money to sign wide receiver loves him. To no fault of his, because whatever, he's just reporting stuff that he hears. I believe it was Robert Mays was the guy who said, you know, they were head over heels in love with, with Allen Robinson. I should find the exact quote here. So I'm not misquoting um, what exactly he said. Cause this was a thing that really, that really sparked, that really sparked it all last year. Um, I don't know. I can't really find the exact quote. I wish I had it, but it was like that they were head over heels in love with Allen Robinson. And that's why, uh, oh, here we go. Actually, I can't find it. So here's here here's here we go. So this is this is what steamed up Robinson last year. And if you saw, there was really no news on him at all. And he went from being, at least in fantasy drafts, best ball drafts, from being like an eighth round pick to a fourth round pick, and then getting closer into this into the third round by this. So the main here's the main thing. Again, this is not like I'm not trying to pile on Mays here because it's kind of how people took it and ran with it here. But his thing was main takeaway from two days at Rams camp. The staff here is in love with Allen Robinson from his approach in meetings to what he can give them in the offense, his route tree and where he can line up are more varied than they even hoped potential monster year incoming. That was really it. Along with the more hype that was coming along with, with Allen Robinson. So I, I specifically said, let's fade this. Like that's not meaningful receiver. You paid a bunch of money to, you like them is not a meaningful thing. An injury is meaningful. Usage is meaningful. Depth chart considerations are meaningful. That is not meaningful. That is the, um, back when you used to have vines, that's like the, the, the training cap vines where you, the training cap clips that we now see that we now get on. I used to, used to be vines back in the day that you get on Twitter of guys making plays. It's always contested catches too. It's like, if, if your receiver's just getting open, it doesn't look so impressive. If they're making contested catches, which is not necessarily a stable thing to do, um, that looks a lot better for, for people. But anyway, a, a little lesson for, again, for this year. Um, always temper your enthusiasm when it comes to hearing that. Because, again, there was no actual change in a workload, money, depth chart, offense, quarterback situation from Allen Robinson over the course of the summer last year. Yet he moved up in people's minds in fantasy football drafts multiple rounds because of the steam that we saw with him coming up there. All right, let's talk some of these gambling gambling suspensions here. This is a big one here for the NFL. I mean, I don't have anything hugely interesting to say other than, I don't know, man. It's looking bad for Jamison Williams. So here's, here's the whole story here. The NFL suspends five players. Remember, Ridley had gone, was suspended for a year for betting on NFL games. Five players, including Jamison Williams. And let's remember, Williams had a, an ACL tear. Came back a little bit late, I would say, on the recovery schedule. So he tore his ACL at the end of the 2021 season with Alabama, an absolute monster season for him. 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns, averaging 20 yards a catch. Absolutely insane, right? So during the national championship game, he tears his ACL. He doesn't come back until – he doesn't return to practice until November 21st. He was activated on December 3rd prior to week 13. He made his debut against the Jaguars. Uh, you know, zero catches there. He had a 41-yard completely – wide open touchdown after that um he had a 40 yard rush at one point during the season but for the 12th overall pick and remember this was a year where we went um drake london garrett wilson chris olave and then the lions traded up 
to go get Jamison Williams in a trade that was heavily criticized for the Vikings because they didn't get that that value that some people are hoping for out of that out of that sort of trade. They went up and get him there. Um, not not above a lot of guys. I mean, it was above Jahan Dotson and um, Traylon Burks, who were still kind of question marks. Dotson had a decent year, but still, you know, one reception for forty-one yards and one touchdown. That's it. That's his first year. You know, six games he played in. He had one catch for forty-one yards and a, and a touchdown. Um, this year, now he's going to miss the first six games of this season. Also, a couple of other Lions players, C.J. Moore and Quintez Cephas, are out. Uh, Shaka Tony, don't you know who that is? Shaka Khan, um, are suspended indefinitely, at least one year. Williams and Stanley Berryhill are suspended six games. So Williams did not bet on the NFL. It looks like he bet on college, but from an NFL facility, which is not allowed. And that's why he has the six-game suspension instead of the full year suspension, but man, six game suspension coming off of a year where he play, he didn't play much six games, one catch on nine targets. We can't write them off, but it's really shocking how quickly guys who don't have production, even if they're injured, like a Kevin white, let's say missed most of his first year with an injury, even if they're injured and you think, well, they're injured, you know, they should be able to come back. That shouldn't really affect like how good they're going to be for the rest of their careers. It's pretty shocking how often that just derails an entire career. If you're not able to play enough early, this would be a combination of injury, which we knew about and now suspension for Williams. Again, he's not done, but if you're going to say, what is his chance that he is done for his career is probably a bit higher than what people think at this point already especially with the fact that Lions got a couple of big picks here. Are they going to look to use one in this round on a wide receiver? Bring in some other names there. I don't know. I don't know what will end up happening, but definitely a negative for um, restoring the roar with the Lions. Uh, a couple other things. We're talking about, let's talk about some of the, uh, the, the GM stuff. So we have running back stuff from the GMs and we have overall stuff from two GMs that I want to discuss because they're really only the two ones that I watched. <laughs> to be honest, but they're also, I thought they were interesting in how and meaningful um, for what they might do. So there's two different ones. One of them is Brad Holmes of the Lions. So let's talk more about Lions. Before I play the clip, I'll just give it overall, like I was getting strong vibes from Holmes that they're not going to take a quarterback at six. I don't know if this, again, vibes can be way off, smokescreen season for all these guys, but those are the vibes that I'm, that I'm getting from him. And the reason being is, and it, the reason this kind of makes sense is, this will be his third year as GM. It'll be Dan Campbell's third year as head coach. They almost made the playoffs last year. They are, I mean, you could say they're the favorites to win the division. They have the best odds to win the division amongst a pretty bad set of competitors in that division. Do they really want to reset at quarterback with a Levis or a Anthony Richardson or even a Stroud if he makes it there? They might just not want to do that. This is this is like a little bit of a principal agent sort of problem here where the principal at least should, if you're the Lions, you should be looking out more than just this next year, how good you're going to be. If you're the Lions owner, if you're a Lions fan, if you're invested in the Lions, who knows? Sometimes ownership can be just as impatient as who's running them, but the agent here, not the principal, the agents are the, in the principal agent problem here are the head coach and the GM, and they want to win this year. They may need to win this year. If they draft a quarterback and it doesn't go well, and they don't win the division when they could have a chance to win the division with Jared Goff, they, they could be out of their jobs. Make it to the playoffs this year could secure them another three, four years in their jobs, despite the fact that it might also be their last chance to draft a quarterback. So, that's the vibes I'm getting from Holmes. But specifically, some the thing that went on during this press conference that I want to talk about was his talk about running backs and their first round viability. This, this sounds like a standard question being thrown out there to a lot of teams. Remember, they brought in David Montgomery, and they still have uh, DeAndre Swift, who was drafted at the beginning, right at the beginning of the second round. I think it was two picks into the second round, maybe three picks into the second round. 
Um, so almost pretty close to a first round guy. It wasn't by Brad Holmes, but Holmes was on the Rams staff when they took Todd Gurley 10th overall. Uh, Gurley coming off of an ACL tear. I didn't think about that. They got Gurley off of an ACL tear, and they also got uh, Jameson Williams off of an ACL tear. Uh, of course, Gurley eventually you know, had some arthritic knee conditions, I believe, in the same knee. So, uh, But he was asked about, you know, you did that back in 2015. So, like, was that a different era, or can you still take a running back in the first round? And this is what – actually, let me, let me bring it up here. i got to figure out. This is what – what he had to say was, I mean, he was defending it, I think, to a point. But I would not say that he, it wasn't all in, but it was a little bit too enthusiastic about where, about like what, whether or not you should be going for something like this in the future. Uh, sorry, it's coming up. I mean, a little difficulty finding this right here, this video. Um, hold on one second. Hmm. Sorry. I cannot find it here. Can't find the auto capture. All right, let me play it on the screen, and then we can listen to it that way. So basically, let me let me get the exact quote here. So he basically said, you know, no one was complaining about Todd Gurley when Todd Gurley was doing his thing. Of course, there were a lot of people, including myself. Complaining about, <laughs> complaining about Todd Gurley when Todd Gurley was doing his thing, and that, um, and that maybe. Oh, here we go. Sorry, this is sorry. I'm really messing this up here. Let's get to the desktop. Okay, here we go. Now I can get it. Okay, so this is Brad Holmes talking about the Todd Gurley pick, and what he kind thought look about at it, it as you know they're all football players you know they're all football players if they can help you they can help you and i i understand the narrative about that but if you think that player is that good then if he's out there producing for you then i don't think anybody's gonna look back and say i don't think anybody said in in 20 you know 16 or 17 or 18 that Oh man, Todd Gurley picked him at ten. Like, no, it's just he was just a really good running back, and you know he was one of the top prospects uh, in in the draft. So um, yeah, we didn't really bat an eye about it. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It's not the worst. I'm not going to get on his case like that much about there, but trust me, there were people, myself included, who were talking about Todd Gurley, despite the fact that he was doing well at that point in time, despite the fact that he was getting MVP hype in a very down 2017 season. We were talking about it. We were talking about it here. Uh, I want to contrast this a little bit to what Duke Tobin, who I really enjoyed listening to him for the Bengals, was talking about uh, when he was talking about the first round running back thing. This is how I would approach it is more how Tobin approached it, which is, again, you don't just come out there and be like, no, we never take uh, running backs. Their running backs don't matter, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But you maybe approach it a little bit, a little bit, not so much as, hey, if they're producing, then they're good. No one should have questioned it, that sort of thing, what we saw from Holmes there. In general, um, any position group is hard to eliminate. You start eliminating it, you can't get to 28. So if you say we're not going to take a running back or we're not going to take a tight end or we're not going to take a receiver or we're not going to take – once you eliminate a position group or two, you can't get to 28 anymore, and you end up with uh, third and fourth round picks in your top 28. So we're open to, to any position that presents itself if they're the best player available. And, and if they're clearly the best player and they, they will have a role on our team, we'll, we'll certainly consider it. You know, I, I do probably eliminate specialists from that first-round category, but <laughs> other than that, uh, it's hard to eliminate. And I don't think we'll be taking a quarterback up there, but everything else is wide open. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how you approach it. You see, everything else is wide open. Actually, it's a, few, a couple of things that Tobin said I thought were really interesting during his thing. Number one, he said the fifth-year option – 
he thinks it might be a bit overvalued. So I wouldn't be surprised if they traded out of the first round, potentially. I agree with them there. It's pretty expensive, that fifth-year option for a lot of players. Um, and he said, you're negotiating anyway after three years to extend guys. So getting that fifth-year option, quarterback, if you hit on the quarterback, is maybe someone, but it also can have complications. Look what happened to the Browns. Look what happened to the decision that didn't happen with the Giants. There are complications there. I thought that was a very salient point. Fifth-year option is overrated. Trading out of the first round, letting someone trade back into the first round, especially because sometimes teams just want to do something on day one, and you can get a value by not doing something on day one and trading out. I like that talk from him. The other thing that he mentioned, which I thought was really good, was that like he needs players that are going to produce. He's not looking to develop necessarily players for the long term. And that's another great point. I mean, most of these guys – you're just not even going to have them on second contracts. A lot of value you're getting from these draft picks. Most of the value you're getting from the draft picks is just a cheap player who's okay, who plays well enough, who may even be great, but they're going to be too expensive and you have to let them go in free agency. You have too many other players that are good in free agency. That's the main value is that surplus value, the delta over what they're getting paid, their value over what they're getting paid. To think we're going to develop a guy, we're going to take an injured guy like Jameson Williams, we just we just talked about there. Um, it's overthinking it most of the time. I mean, Jesus, receivers are making like $30 million a year now, $25 million a year. Yeah, you may hit on them, but if you're going to pay them $25 million a year in a few years, after not having him his entire rookie season when these guys need to be able to produce pretty quickly nowadays, I think it's a mistake from a lot of people. So I thought Duke Tobin has some really, really good points in both of those areas. Um, all right, let's just get to the q and I'm going to have to wrap it up. Well, I'm having some more running back stuff, but who cares about that? There was a discussion on NFL Live, which was, you know, basically Daniel Jeremiah trying to justify the fact that he has Bijan ranked number three. But I think we've beaten that horse to death here. So, and again, Q&A, any Q&A, go ahead and throw it in the chat here. I will uh, jump on it here. Okay, we got a, something from uh, William Jones here. Is that a real name? Really, William Jones. Uh, how do the Cardinals approach this from a negotiation perspective? Well, I mean, I think you just have to be willing to block out the noise and get multiple bidders against each other and then try to move them up some somewhat upon them. But the closer you could get to actually pulling the trigger and being willing to pull the trigger, maybe you can actually create some heat between the negotiation. That's what That's where the leverage comes from. Let's remember. Like a lot of people think, oh, a team can't have any leverage because they're like for trading away a quarterback. This is part of the whole Justin Fields thing. You can't trade with Justin Fields because once you moved away from him, you have no leverage. No, no, you have leverage. As long as two teams are interested, you have leverage. You play them off of each other. That's how you get a great deal for Jamal Adams, even though you're willing to get rid of him. That's how you get a pretty good relevant market relevant deal for Carson Wentz multiple times. That's how you get a pretty good deal for Sam Darnold when you're the Jets and you're moving on from him is you have multiple teams interested, or at least the perception of multiple, multiple teams being interested. But you got to be willing to do something. You got to be willing to continue those conversations. You can't just put down the phone when you're not getting the value that you think you're going to get um, for, for that. Uh, let me see. Is there a world that someone pays up to trade back because of surplus value? Pays up to trade back. No, I don't think that exists in this world. That would be pretty tough because then, I mean, I might, you know what I would do? <laughs> I wouldn't pay to, to move back. But if you were moving from like 32, because again, the fifth year option is overvalued. If you're moving from like 32 or in this year, 31, because of the, 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 the lower draft to the first pick in the second round, you actually get a nice little value there. Because I think the salaries go down by like, a million dollars a year or something or half a million dollars a year. Maybe that would be a world where you do it for free. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen because you get, you got to get someone who's willing to do it and, and whatever you got to let people negotiate with. You can find someone that you want to, to do it here. Okay. Another Q and a here. Does the analytics community have an opinion on whether it's really worth it to pay top money for high end kickers? Is Justin Tucker really creating that much more value than someone signed off the street? I think Tucker is, um, I know Timo Risque has done some analysis on this. You can do some Bayesian sort of analysis. This is the perfect area to do a Bayesian sort of analysis because you are you have a prior, like assuming someone's a league average kicker or slightly better than league average kicker, then you get the evidence and each time you're getting a 
made or miss kick above or below expectation, you add that in as you get the longer and longer sample, then your distribution for outcomes of who you believe this kicker could be, how good or, or, or bad they could be, you know, it becomes thinner because you're more confident in a particular outcome. And then it, it'll move up or down the, the outcome range, depending upon whether they're making or missing them. Tucker's made enough kicks at this point, And this, this part of the problem, um, like he's getting old now, but he's made so many kicks that he is definitely adding a lot of value. The problem is most kickers, you just don't have any confidence. The confidence range is huge for them. I mean, you look at someone like um, uh, Robbie Gold, right? When he was a great kicker with the Bears, he had a bad year. They extended him and then they just cut him loose. And now he's gone to the 49ers and continued to be great after that. I think often these guys get hit bumps in the road. It looks intractable and unfixable at any amount of time. Uh, but the reality is, unless the kicker's been around for a long time, you don't have a big enough sample size to know that they're adding value. They will continue to add value. And if they've been around a long time, then when they start falling off, you may think maybe they're just done. Although some kickers have lasted, you know, into their 40s. So I think they can add value. It's just most, most, most kickers are, there's just a high degree of examples of replaceability there. So almost all the time, it's a, it's you're trying to paper over concerns and these bad feelings when your kicker misses kick kicks and you pay someone and you say, all right, we got that kicker box checked. Kind of like when they drafted Aguayo in the second round for, for, for the bucks. I mean, a massive bust, one of the worst picks ever um, to draft a specialist like that, especially because he didn't even make 50 yard kicks that much in, in college. He was just making a bunch of shorter kicks in Florida. Um, but you, you think you have that box checked and it's that peace of mind that, that people are paying for. And it's way, way too much. We don't have the samples on these guys. You might as well just assume that everyone is league average and minimize your costs there. Ride guys as you have them. And I'm sure you could do things outside of gameplay to see how good they are. Uh, but I would be interested to really test like how well kickers kick during non-game situations and that translating over to the game because you have such a small sample in the game. It'd be tough to really judge what's noise, what's not. What you could really also do is actually have the exact pinpoint location of when they're going in or not on these kicks. I think that could also be a very powerful tool for judging kickers is not only are they making it, but how often is it going right, right down the middle or barely missing versus missing by a lot. That'd be another way to try to judge, but most of the time minimize your costs. There's no way. There's, there's, there's no way you're getting a lot of value, especially after these kickers who have like one or two great seasons and then you're throwing a bunch of money at them. Forget about it. You don't really know that much about them at that point. Um, in regards to letting players walk after being drafted, Pats will probably let the one who walk next year and have the value of a starting guard at a six round pick and get a comp pick next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Pats are, are masters of letting guys walk and they should, um, the Ravens were also in that situation. One thing that concerns me, actually, I want to mention this. I haven't mentioned this yet. This whole void year thing that everyone was doing with these contracts, the Browns and the Eagles, big ones on there, kind of takes away your opportunity to get um, comp picks because of the void years. So I'm, I'm a little bit dubious of that. Uh, what is your opinion on the rising usage of void? Hey, look at this right here. Void years in contracts. There are some teams who use them extensively, and there are some who don't use them at, at all. Okay, so here's what a void year does. It's similar in some ways to a big signing bonus. It's you're using like the, the, the present value, the discount present value of money to your favor with void years. So you're, what you're saying is, let's just think about a simple contract. Let's say I have a contract that's $10 million. It's really a one-year contract, but I'm going to pay you, there's 5 million this year and then a 5 million on a void year um, next year. And the salary cap is going to go up by 5% next year. So you're getting a 5% discount on that money, that you're applying that money to this year's team. You're applying that $5 million to this year's team, but you're paying it at a lower rate because as a percentage of the salary cap, it's going to go down next year. So that's what these teams are doing. It's like a little financial chicanery here where you're saying, I'm going to spend money, let's say I'll spend what's the equivalent of 1% of the cap today, but then when it actually goes against my cap in a year or two or three years, it'll be, you know, 0.95% of the cap. 
So I'll get that little bit of savings. And if you start doing that enough, all of a sudden you're able to use, let's say, 105% of the cap in this year versus 100% of the cap. And that's how it works. You're able to use a little bit more and then you'll lose maybe 3% of the cap in the future in order to do that. You get what I'm saying? Like you can really like apply more to this year, juice it up. Um, it's somewhat true for big bonuses. And this is when teams who have rich owners are going to are gonna benefit is they can just throw a ton more into a signing bonus. It's the same thing from a player's perspective. They should be thinking about it as I'm getting this money today. I can go invest it and do whatever I want with it, earn a return on it versus having the money paid out in salary in the future. Similar sort of thing, more signing bonus, which is just thrown into to void years. So both from the player and the team perspective, they get a time value of money um, advantage versus paying a straight salary over a number of years. Probably going to see more and more of it. But like I said, the downside, and this is what teams are eventually going to have to deal with. And maybe they don't care if they're signing players anyway, is how do you get these comp picks? They're not walking away as true free agents. I believe I asked someone about that. That's what they told me. I'm not 100 percent sure but I believe you cannot get comp picks like a true unrestricted free agent. A lot of teams like the Ravens and others have lived off of these comp picks. They were a real cheat code in the NFL. Now the cheat code seems to be getting your, um, your minority front office and coaches hired by someone else <laughs> like the, like the 49ers. I mean, you're getting two third round picks for that. That's twice as much as losing a premium free agent like a premium, premium free agent who's making $15 million a year, you get a third round pick for. You're getting two third round picks for D'Amico Ryans, two third round picks for um, the other guys, uh, Robert Sala, two first round picks for Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel, you know, <laughs> probably should be like half of a pick for him, quite honestly, but whatever. They, they got the two first round picks for for for, Mc, uh, for McDaniel there. Um. Okay, here you go. Any bold draft predictions six days out? Mm, any bold draft predictions? That's a good one. I got to think here for a second. Because I always have to weigh like what I think should happen versus what I think will happen. So like I should be, this is like trying to figure that out is very, very difficult. So I mean, I really don't see this happening, but I guess Levis going before C.J. Stroud. Is that even bold anymore? I don't know. Like, that seems to be the the talk right now. I don't get it, but I had, you know, Mike Renner on the podcast. He seems to be into Levis, um, college system sort of guy that people are into, Manning camp guy. So for the Colts, he looks pretty good there. So I guess that's somewhat bold. Um, I think Bijan's going to fall further than people think. So how about a bold one, Bijan going outside of the top 20 picks? It's not extremely bold by mock drafts, but pretty bold by um by other by other metrics as far as where where guys have uh them ranked. What else would be a bold one here? Um Jalen Carter falling outside of the top 10. How about that one? They did this weird power move where I think Rosenhaus is his agent where they said, we're just not even going to visit someone outside the top 10. Like you can't just make it happen. <laughs> you can't just say, well, we're still going to go in the top 10 as long as we don't, because we're just not going to visit someone outside the top 10. I know everyone thinks the Eagles are going to potentially take them, but whew, I don't know. Could be some issues there. I know they have multiple Georgia teammates there and everything else, but you know, we'll see what ends up happening. All right. I think I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, coming back at you next week. I have a couple of potential podcasts lined up that we'll have there. Obviously more research. I should have had another piece out on tight ends. I got a good tight end research piece coming. That's similar to my quarterback pieces where it's such a small sample. We can't really build a robust model off of it, but we can do some data mining to try to find some stuff and elusivity and speed are kind of two things that look pretty good for tight ends and identifying those guys. So that's going to come out next week. I'm going to do a mock draft. Cause I got to, you got to do mock drafts of what I think should happen from an analytical analytical perspective and what I think will happen. So to contrast those two, and then I'll start to get into some comps for these different players too, as we get closer and then update everything with the draft. I think I'm going to try to do a live draft show also. Okay. We actually, we got one more question and then I'll, then I'll roll out here. Uh, the wide receiver position looks wide open after JSN. Thoughts on how the wide receiver draft will turn out? That's a good one for a bold, for a bold prediction. Um, 
How about, even though I don't like this player, he's probably like, how about Zay Flowers, wide receiver one? For bold prediction. I don't like him. But yeah, I think wide receivers could could, could fall a bit. Um, so I think any of these guys could go up there. I mean, my guy would be Jalen Hyatt only because I just feel like none of them you could really think about as being a wide receiver one. I mean, maybe JSN, but even that's a question. So why not take a guy who can track the ball and get down the field? So who'd be my guy there? Anyway, everyone go to unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Check out all my research, check out the podcast, which will be coming at you again this week. And otherwise I'll be talking to you then. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening everyone i'll try to do another one of a wrap-up of the draft also uh of round one on friday and then of day two on saturday and day three we don't we don't need to wrap up day three immediately before coming with some more podcasts the next week all right talk to everyone then thanks